That was a mistake, Ben. Talking to your ship from my office. Now that security knows you're here, you'll never make it past that door. It doesn't matter whether I get out of here or not. By now, Odo is talking to Jarrus and you. The president will have all the evidence he needs to stop you. It's over. It's not over! I have enough loyal officers to make a fight of it. Who will you fight? Starfleet? The Federation? Don't you see, Admiral? You're fighting the wrong war. And as for your loyal officers, Benteen's already abandoned you. And she was closer to you than anyone. You've lost. Don't make anyone else pay for your mistakes. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me, eating jambalaya in New Orleans, are Bill Boywad and Emily Bowen Marler. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today, we will be sharing our first installment of our Imposters series, the episodes Homefront and Paradise Lost from Season 4 of Deep Space Nine. Follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, if you're so inclined, please tell your friends about the pod um, and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. And as always, if you haven't watched Deep Space Nine and you don't feel like you want to be spoiled, this is the point at which you should stop listening to our episode and go watch Deep Space Nine uh, four seasons. You can probably do it in a couple of weeks and then you can come listen back to this episode. (laughs) All right. Well, so as Emily mentioned before, we're talking about two episodes today, Homefront and Paradise Lost. They were two parters that were the 11th and 12th episodes of the fourth season of Deep Space Nine, also known as When Deep Space Nine Gets Really Good. Uh, They first aired on the 1st of January and the 8th of January in 1996. I was exactly 10 years old at that point. Well, actually, I was more like nine and mostly almost 10. And then these episodes were written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. They were directed by David Livingston and Reza Badivi. And the story is by Ronald D. Moore. The in-universe date for both of these episodes is star date 49364. Uh, and the date, well, this is funny. The the star date for the first episode is 49170.65 dash 49. 334.63 and then the next one is despite it just being a few days later it's now the star date has gone up by like 40 to 49364 both of those correspond to the year 2372 like what is this star date system and why do we even use it why can't we just say four numbers uh instead but that's that's a topic for another day for now the topic is home front and paradise lost so let's stick to that we always start with our strange new takes who's got a strange new take for me I can start. Um, so first, I'm just going to keep it real short and simple. The best soda is Dr. Pepper. Ooh, That's it. If out Ooh. of like the mainstream sodas, if you're going to tell me, oh, there's this like Portuguese soda that's like bubble. Okay, fine. But out of like the mainstream big sodas, Dr. Pepper is the best. Um, about this episode, I... Um, 
I think it's watching this, or well, I'll put it this way. In Enterprise, there were some allegories for uh, September 11th and the War on Terror that I think were not always that skillful. Um, and this episode is actually, I mean, takes place beforehand, but it's pretty prescient. And I think is in many ways actually a better allegory than the stuff they did in Enterprise. 100%. I had the same thought as I was watching this. Um, Here, let's see. What do I want to share for my strange new take? Um, Man, sleep. Sleep is so weird. Sometimes you're like, oh, I had such a great night of sleep. You do exactly the same thing the next night, and then you have a terrible night of sleep. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because uh, by the time you wake up, it's too late. I really wish sleep could just be something that was a little bit more like, you know predictable be nice uh, i should say the quality of sleep more like hmm. you know but in terms of this episode um yeah so i was gonna share that thing that you just talked about bill so instead let me talk about the fact that Layton's um buddy in this episode the uh benteen is played by susan gibney who also played leah brahms that's what I kept I calling so. her in my okay. notes. <laughs> I couldn't remember yeah. her name in the show. So I'm like, Leah Brahms looks funny here. Or look at the expression Leah Brahms is making. <laughs> exactly. So definitely one of those uh, greatest hits of Star Trek guest actors here. Also, the, the, the actor who played Leighton, Robert Foxworth, would also go on to play another character in Star Trek. Do you all know who it is? I don't. Any guesses? He played Valas in Enterprise, who was the head of the Vulcan High Command in the final season of Enterprise. Oh. Evil character. Uh-huh. He's got a good voice for that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't recognize him without the bull cut. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's what everyone says about Spock, too. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. My strange new take for life is, wow, There's you have to do a whole lot of work in order to take vacation. <laughs> it's just been... <laughs> ridiculous talk about earning your vacation i have earned my vacation i still have i think two more emails that i need to craft and send and then i will be done so that will be nice and i'll have almost two weeks off not quite but close um my strange new take on the episode is i wondered if cisco watched this episode before in the pale moonlight um because i felt like there were some shades of that. And I was like, well, you know, this was his uh, commanding officer for a while. So not exactly, but definitely people <laughs> finding um, reasons to justify behavior that they previously perhaps wouldn't have um, considered doing before. Um, and I also was thinking, I wasn't thinking September 11th as much as I was thinking uh, January 6th when I was watching this episode and the things that I see uh, people justifying, um, you know, I mean, if you're, if you really feel like something untoward is happening then it's okay to go storm the Capitol and, you know, threaten to kill the vice president. And I don't think it's okay to do any of those things, by the way. Um, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I just, I kind of felt shades of that as well, even though this was obviously before. To any new listeners, we bring Emily on because she brings the MAGA perspective, yeah, you know, the yeah. other side. <laughs> yeah, pretty we, much. We really wanted to, you know. <laughs> 
Good Lord. <laughs> All right, let's dive in. Uh, first things first, most important topic on this uh, in this episode. Worf says that the Klingons had gods, then they killed them. That's <laughs> 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 oh, oh, great. Funny. Worf, Worf, Worf. I mean, it, it did make me just also... I don't think it's fully appreciated just how much Star Trek Michael Dorn has been in. Yeah. Like, it's actually pretty incredible. He, I mean, he was in seven seasons of TNG and then three more seasons of DS9 and now an entire season of Picard. That's like... Yeah. Is there any other actor who's done as much? I don't well, think he's so. Been in, no, he's been close. in, what, four, uh, mo- four TNG movies and he was also um, in uh, Star Trek VI as well, not as... Worf, but right. they did say it was an, an ancestor of Worf or something. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Has yeah. He, he's the actor that's been in the most Star Trek of anyone, right? I think. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, O'Brien was a TNG character, right? Yeah. That they brought on, but he was like a, a B character. He was in like six episodes or something. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, so just a quick shout out to, to Michael Dorn there, because I think this is like early in his time in DS9. So I think, but he feels like a fully like entrenched character at this mm-hmm. point in the show. Um, you can't really tell that he hasn't been in there terribly long. Um, the other thing I'll point out is that at the beginning of this episode, we also get kind of a bunch of like the actual station. And then we don't truly return there very much in this episode. These two episodes have very little actual Deep Space Nine in them. So just just a just a quick notation before we before we dive into the actual plot. Now this all starts with a bombing, and I I haven't been able to figure out which bombing this might have been based on. Like if this was like a rip from the headlines kind of thing, or if this was just like Robert Ronald D. Moore kind of saying like let this would be interesting if something like this happened. I'm um. I'm guessing it's not a super direct uh, riff on a current event. I, I think at this point in time, what, what year was this? 96. So the Oklahoma City bombing had mm-hmm. happened, right? Mm-hmm. I don't th- I think the USS Cole happened after. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely did. be wrong about either of those. Um, yeah, I mean, this was like the mid 90s, like, you know, the time of like, everything's going great it's mostly peacetime like problems occur outside the united states and not in the united states Mm -hmm. and that was in full swing yeah well that's definitely the way they the impression they give off about earth is that nothing like this has happened on earth in over 100 years and no one quite knows how to handle it because of that Yeah. yeah You get the classic, though, CSI scene of enhance, enhance, enhance Mm -hmm. to find out that the changeling was in the room. Worf Worf is a good detective. He knows how to do it. You just got to keep enhancing and (laughs) basically (laughs) solve any mystery. (laughs) Got to use that enhance. Now, because of this, uh, this this federation conference that is bombed on earth cisco is recalled um and he brings odo with him to be uh to the, the expert on changelings basically um and they walk into basically a culture of fear at starfleet yeah yeah um 
Yeah, so uh, bef- just before that, is it okay if I just yeah, uh, yeah, that of one scene? The, um, the, the, the little preamble on the station where Dax moves the furniture, is that I think it's symbolic, right? I mean, what does it tell us about, it like highlights that Odo is different, right? That he's so anal retentive about his furniture that he can notice that kind of thing. And, and that he's like unique on the station. Um, but I, I, I think they're all the writers are also highlighting other or kind of foreshadowing um, other stuff with that. And, and you're referring to basically, so for anyone who's just listening to the podcast and not like watching this along, Dax moves everything in Ordor's quarters. But what is it like a quarter of an inch or something like that? Three, three centimeters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and this drives Odo nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It just, it's highlighting that he's other, right. That he's different. Um, I like that for sure. And I, I don't know this idea that, that he really needs order. That order is super important and presumably is also important for the other changelings. I think it's like maybe a broader theme. Which, uh, so well, that just makes me think about this would be like way jumping to the next episode, but it seems like the changelings that are on Earth are kind of delighting in the chaos that they're causing, yeah. though, you know, yeah. so. Um, but, you know, the other thing I was I was noticing about the scene on the station before we go to Earth um, is how naive. Uh, I don't know if it's how naive Starfleet officers are, how naive humans are in a human centric storyline you know but like when uh uh, not Bashir when um O'Brien says to Odo you're like oh people aren't gonna hold you responsible for what your people do you know and Odo's like oh okay yeah (laughs) you know like he knows better but I can't remember exactly what the line that O'Brien says oh no one can hold you responsible for what your people are doing and Odo says oh really and it's just just seems pretty naive of um miles to not recognize that that's been like the story of humanity um from the dawn of time you know Mm -hmm. you look kind of like someone who did something to me or to my sister or to my whatever and so i must hate you and hate anyone else who has any similar you know beliefs or features or whatever you know um but then also the complete odo erasure that happens throughout these episodes like just the way People just kind of overlook Odo, pretend like Odo's not there. Um, they, they won't address Odo sometimes when um, they'll just talk to Cisco and not address Odo. And anyway, I noticed that a lot too in these episodes. Yeah, there's just, I mean, it's kind of crazy how prescient this episode is to like stuff like 9-11 and mm-hmm. what happened in the direct aftermath with how Arab folks were treated um the kind of security apparatus that was put in and and just to kind of let me just lay out the bones of this episode from end to end and then we can kind of jump in wherever we want i think that might be better than going chronologically so essentially cisco gets pulled to starfleet academy leighton amps up cisco's fear of what's happening at on starfleet and there's this energy uh, system hacking or disabling that happens which sends in the entirety of earth into a blackout that is nuts to think about and in 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 light of this at the end of the first episode starfleet deploys armed guards all over the planet 
And the next episode, we find out that the Starfleet's elite Red Squad was behind this. Leighton has framed the changelings for this chaos. And Cisco then has to run kind of this, uh, like almost like a conspiracy theory. What seems like a conspiracy theory to everybody else. He has to kind of go and fix the issue and pull Leighton out of power. All the while, Leighton has now convinced his deputy Benteen to go off in a Starfleet and sh uh, starship and shoot down the Defiant, which is coming to save, uh, which is coming to Earth with proof of Leighton's uh, criminality. And there's also a president who Adam likes to call President Alf in here. So we see a Starfleet president who is kind of the unwitting um, accomplice of of Leighton. In He's this whole plan. so like ineffectual and lame sorry president whatever your name is but oh i was just like wow just not a great character <laughs> i don't know yeah but it but i mean that's the deal everybody has to be lame except our heroes right in right that, so you know what i find every, does yeah. anyone else does anyone else find it interesting so as someone as as people who watch star trek Starfleet are are the heroes, right? Like Starfleet does good things in the world and they are, mm -hmm. you know, forces for good in the world. I found it so interesting at the end of the first episode how uneasy Jake and um uh I just forgot his name. Ben's dad. I know his name. I don't know. Grandpa. Anyway. Admiral uh, Cartwright. Yeah, Joseph I know Cisco. Admiral Cartwright. <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> um, Jake and Joseph Sisko, how uneasy they are when they see all of the Starfleet um, people beam in onto the streets in New Orleans. And I'm thinking yeah. for two people who have loved ones who are in Starfleet and have a lot of dealings with people in Starfleet, it's just really interesting how uneasy seeing an increased presence of Starfleet is. And it's, and I think it's because like I forget Starfleet. Sometimes I forget Starfleet is a military um, organization. I mean, obviously it's a military organization, right? But mm -hmm. it's so Star Trek is so much about the exploration of things that I kind of like, you know, put the military side of things like I kind of sweep that away sometimes when I'm watching it. And but no, they're totally a military organization. They didn't. They didn't buy that explanation. They said we're just here to explore the French Quarter. <laughs> With our phaser rifles. <laughs> and again, I could see the phaser rifle. The presence of the phaser rifles definitely could make one a little more uneasy than if it was just, you know, people in Starfleet uniforms showing up. But, um, yeah. Well, I think the other thing is that it's also these are Starfleet officers who are armed, right? Like, think about how you would react to the same person if they were holding in a rifle versus if they weren't, right? Like, I think yeah. there's also that aspect of things Absolutely. here. Uh, which brings that kind of stark reality. But I mean, this is, it's also, I think there's two elements here that I want to point out. One is this goes straight to the bad moral trope. So in some ways it is like peak Star Trek, like yes. all admirals evil. On the other hand, it's also questioning the inherent good of Starfleet a little bit, right? Like, which hasn't been questioned as much. Like we've always had like, well, these admirals are bad, but Starfleet is good. And here there's a little bit, like you're saying, there's this, and, increased element of well is starfleet really like if there was starfleet everywhere everybody was in starfleet would it actually be a good thing and you start questioning that that kind of uh the morality there i mean do you all think that what i mean i know it's not the same but don't you think that what admiral layton does is not that different from what ben cisco does 
in a few seasons. Yeah. It's really not. I mean, I feel like it's. I don't know. It just. It's not that different. Yeah. Now, granted, I mean, one it, person it, is trying to take complete military control over Earth, right? And the other one's trying to get the Romulans into the war. But they're both presenting something, a scenario that isn't necessarily true in order to tap into the fear of the people that they want to become involved, right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you're, you're highlighting a weakness of the episode-based format, right? They were written by totally different writers. Um, right. Whoever wrote in The Pill Moonlight may have not even seen this episode, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So it, I mean, I think it's just an inconsistency. I don't, I mean, we could try to explain it away <laughs> or headcanon it, but I think that's the real answer is that that you know in the episodic format each episode is basically totally disconnected from all the others i i don't i think i think it's actually great i think it's fantastic that these two episodes are both in the canon together because it shows you what war does right like mm -hmm. you start in the pale moonlight with cisco looking at the list of people who are dead so to me it's very easy to see that the guy's morality changes and I mean, it's also like there you could also like draw some even darker parallels of like, well, there he's basically, you know, Earth is already in the war. More Earthlings are going to be saved if the Romulans come in. And maybe he just doesn't care about Romulan lives as much as he cares about like people in the Federation, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, obviously, I think it's a great episode and there's lots of they, they play with the moral ambiguity in a really um, fun way. But they don't acknowledge, Cisco never says like, yeah. oh yeah, what happened to that man I used to be when I stopped Admiral Layton? And <laughs> no, there's no, I mean, it, okay, I'm, I'm not a TV writer, yeah. obviously, but like, you know, but they, there's no acknowledgement or no kind of connective tissue between the two experiences. You know, the, the one thing I wish they didn't do in this episode, and I thought it was great, you know, and it was like, and the first episode's good. The second episode, just like, when you're just watching all of these different things that were happening and how um, how manipulated the whole situation was. And it just, you know, I think it really got amped up a lot more. I so wish they didn't do the kind of character trope with the Admiral at the towards the end. You know, like he started getting all like laughing at the things that Cisco, oh, you, you think you can stop me, you know, kind of stuff. And I was just like, you know what? People do terrible things. And don't and and don't laugh it off like the evil villain who's you know plotting some you know anyway. I know that's just TV in the '90s, probably. No, but or it's I, I think I think we are touching though on how why DS9 is held up as some of the strongest Star Trek, right? Like mm -hmm. this is this is heavy, heavy stuff, especially when you consider it came in the '90s and like putting yeah. these two episodes together. Um, I think I think it amplifies in the pale moonlight for me even more um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's rough stuff. And I think when we look forward to Picard now, I'm also seeing some of these themes of like, there could be an imposter anywhere. There are like, yeah. what is, is, has Starfleet been infiltrated? So like, it, it's... Th these episodes and the way that their story was built is, is re remarkably like, uh, it's survives the test of time, I guess. You know, there's a new thing that's happening right now in our current world um, that this can be speaking to as well. Now we're entering a time where AI is able to um, mimic voices 
and mm -hmm. they're able, you know, I mean, they're able to make deep fakes of people. You can say that, oh, so-and-so was caught on tape saying such and such thing when they never were, but make a convincing um, uh, video of it or something and have these imposters that are actually AI that are manipulating people into, I don't know, I just started, it's just kind of worrisome. Like, and, and like, clearly, like the way, that whenever they have the changeling storylines come through Star Trek, Starfleet and the Federation, they do not know what to do with changelings. They do not have an effective um, way to uh, combat or, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the, you know, and, the, and what they come up with is genocide, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's just, mm. Yeah, I, th I, I do uh, really appreciate, at least at the beginning, the, um, how Cisco empathizes with Leighton. And, you know, when Cisco is making his case to the president, he says, you know, no, I bet he believes that he's doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that this is a supremely patriotic act. Um, and then, you know, and then they... Emily, as you say, they kind of lose that by the end and make him a little bit more mustache twirling. Right, right. Which and I think I, is, I, yeah. Yeah, I liked it more when they were, you know, when they were kind of addressing. That's That was the that was the line that made me think, like, this is what, when you have people that are so manipulated by their fear or so, like, that's what they're tapping into and acting out of, they can find justifications for some really awful, heinous things and really not feel that they're being this evil nefarious force in the world. Like they really deeply believe that what they're doing is to protect. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, so that's, and I just thought that really spoke to so many things that we've seen happen over the course of the last several years. I think the one place that this episode maybe is more nineties Trek than today, today's Trek is in Benteen's character where you have this accomplice who's willing to go some of the way, but then, you know, words, and values change her mind. In today's Star Trek, I feel like Riker would have come in with the Titan and blown Benteen away, and that's how the, the Defiant got through, right? Like, but in this episode, it's like believable that Benteen would like have this sudden change of heart and be like, oh no, actually we've gone too far. Um which yeah, yeah you you it's kind of this like more uplifting, kind of hopeful message. Um that we that yeah. is more more present in '90s track, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just saying it, it's it's the one area where I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we like to see people get redeemed, right? Mm -hmm. um, and have have their stories turn around. I think that's really hard to do with the I'll call it like the like post Marvel kind of storytelling, where like bad guys are just big bad guys, and are you know mostly irredeemable. Yeah. Exactly. Like, there's no redemption for, uh, what was her name from the Amanda Plummer's character from... Vadic. Uh, Vadic. Like, there's, yeah. there's gonna be, like, Vadic's, like, number two isn't gonna be like, I came with you this far, but, like... Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, it, so, so we, we've, we've got, I think, lost this kind of uh, character who's then, you know, who has their redemption at the, at the very end. Um... Uh, but 
Another thing that I think we need to deal with in this episode is Joseph Sisko's role in it. So there's this, you know, from the beginning, it's like there's there's a couple of things happening. Number one, Sisko and his son haven't or Ben Sisko and his son haven't seen Joseph Sisko in quite a while. They're staying they're staying in San Francisco, so they're not able to stay in in Louisiana at the at the restaurant. Um and then Ben learns that his father has not been getting the medical treatment he needs. And then the tables are kind of turned when Joseph goes like, this is crazy. You're like, I will I refuse to get tested. Ben, you're going too far. And they kind of meet in the middle at the end uh, where both have done something that the other doesn't approve of. And they have to make sense of their relationship going forward. Yeah. I th- th- there was a little bit where I was like, dude, this family drama is like so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, when yeah, when they're having that initial disagreement, and he's like, "Oh, why aren't what, you know? Why aren't you staying at my house? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know." And he's like, "Why aren't you going to the doctor enough?" But then um, it develops more, and I think it's it's pretty rich. And the scene where Cisco kind of checks to see the knife and the blood on the knife to see if, and and then his dad catches him, and he's like, "What? You really thought I was a changeling?" But I. You know, it's hard for me to blame Cisco, actually. I mean, in that kind of a situation, you don't know. It could be anyone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which Mm -hmm. just kind of um, makes the paranoia feel more real. Right. Um, Yeah, body snatchers. That's exactly, I mean, and that's what Leighton was counting on. Yeah. Because Cisco, or Joseph Cisco, ended up being on board with the testing once he was led to believe that changelings were the reason for the worldwide blackout. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah. well, that was before I knew there were changelings. But now that they caused that, I, of course, I'm going to submit to the testing, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you start with a lower level of fear and then you show kind of what might happen. It's kind of like you make everyone afraid of the consequences. What do you guys think of the scene with like fake O'Brien where? Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> fake O'Brien is creepy. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And it just highlights, you know, when he's like, what if I told you there were just four? Mm-hmm. You know, it really highlights, like, how precarious everything is and how, how dangerous the Dominion is. Yeah. I can't, and it makes me, like, scenes like that we didn't really get in Picard, where we got to, like, like, you know, there was a lot of implication that there might be, but, like, really the scene with two, fake Tuvok was the only one where we truly got to, like, Mm-hmm. have like that sense of true creepiness most of it was like kind of action based yeah yeah i mean there was some great paranoia stuff in the ensign row or C- commander row episode mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not in i think in all those instances everybody turned out to be who they said they were right except well except for her uh guard or whatever. right the security officers yeah. yep yep <clears throat> Yeah, it's, I I just, I think this episode did a good job of, like, there was very little action, right? Like, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, phaser fire or anything like that. This was more like a mentally driven kind of thriller, which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Quintessential Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. So, could I just take a, a minute here to make a more general comment? So, you know, I think we're entering a new phase of of the Star Trek like franchise, right? And I, because all the streaming companies are tightening their belts and in just in general, fewer shows are getting greenlit. 
Mm-hmm. And so I don't think we're going to have the bounty of Star Trek that we've had for the past few years for the next few anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I won't make any long-term predictions. Um, and the studio execs, you know, they greenlit this Academy show, which is like at the bottom of my list of stuff I want. And I think a lot of fans, I mean, if it's good, I'll watch it. If it's bad, I'll probably still watch it. And, <laughs> you know, but I think a lot of fans would probably agree with me that like the Academy concept is not that interesting, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a business, right? That Paramount is running and they want to bring in new viewers, right? That's what mm-hmm. they want because they want to, because they like want to get more subscribers and grow the business and get more revenue, whatever. Um, and I wonder, you know, that the opposite approach where they just, you know, what if they just said, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, get all the Trekkies to subscribe. They're, they'll watch anything like us, you know, <laughs> they'll subscribe as long as we put out new content and just do it on a budget, you know, just, like just get good stories you know, maybe it looks like Enterprise did 20 years ago. Maybe the bridge set is cheap and they, in every episode, they go to an alien planet that looks like the, are they the Vasquez Rocks the, yeah. in Southern California? Or Planet right? Hell, their stage that was Planet yeah. Hell. And they just changed a few yeah. styrofoam. You know, but there are, and so this episode was probably not too expensive to produce, right? It's just like they just shot it in LA, right? <laughs> um, you know, so. I don't. I don't think that kind of cheap Star Trek strategy, where you just like, you know, service the existing fan base, but do it cheaply enough to make it profitable. That's probably not a super compelling path for the Paramount execs. But I do wonder if it would be better for fans because I don't. You know, all like the the great like this super great CGI and ship shots. I mean, those are cool. I enjoy it, but I don't really care. You know, if, the, if it was crappy CGI, it wouldn't really, mm-hmm. you know, impact my enjoyment. Aren't you, aren't you basically describing, isn't there like a episode, like a season of Battlestar Galactica where they basically leave Galactica behind and they're just on earth and like, they're just in British Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's a yeah. voyage home, right? Like it's, yeah. All you're paying for is the costumes. I think, Strange New Worlds is kind of like that, though. They, I mean, because of the AR screen that they've got, it is just essentially sending them off into, like, um, the AR screen every now and then, which simulates kind of... But even if you look at some of the episodes of Strange New Worlds, it's like they basically took over a conference center and filmed there for a little bit or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's, that's it's, true. That's true. I wonder how much it costs. But I still... Yeah. Like it with all the new shows, I think the production values are just super high. I mean, I guess Lower Decks is is different, but um, they all just look amazing. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're gonna find that after Picard and Discovery now, now Picard's gone. Discovery's gonna be gone soon. I think I think we're gonna get more of what you're describing, Bill, because yeah. I mean, it's only Strange New Worlds that's live action anymore. It's Lower Decks and Prodigy are both animated. So the problem doesn't exist there. And Strange New Worlds is more geared towards, like you're saying, I mean, they're going to different planets. So you just have to film in a slightly different place every time. Yeah. 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 It it basically tests your world building ability, right? Like how much of a world can you build by showing like, for example, there was an episode where they were on that abandoned planet where there were those energy creatures. You remember that? It was just one room, right? But they built an entire world with that like one room and then taking them through a few atriums and then that like bridge if you remember where uhura has to like sing to 
Soft mm, no, that, not even that one. That one's another great example where they don't really go mm. to like too much. But I'm, I'm talking about the one where Spock and I think it's, is, it, is it Spock and Pike are like stuck on the planet and they have like there's like an energy creature at the end that they have to like. Oh yeah, the one yeah. with Illyria. Ghosts of Illyria. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think we are getting that, uh, where it's only like really the bridge that's in the show, or maybe like a few like interior sets, and then the rest they just go out into LA somewhere, like you're saying, or British Columbia or whatever. Yeah. Um, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Are they in Toronto now? I yeah, think they I think are. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, all the planets that they go to are like super polite people. <laughs> <laughs> everything is in kilometers per hour uh, <laughs> oh man well um i i so so a couple of things that i did not like about these two episodes not enough garrick what the hell you guys no garrick never enough garrick yeah no. that was that was something i missed i wish they could have taken garrick with them um oh my gosh speaking of garrick bashir's stance because you know bashir and garrick anyway Bashir's stance behind Worf just made me laugh. The way he, when they're flying the Defiant, and just the way that Bashir was standing, it was just really odd. It was like, someone needs to give that dude a seat. Like, <laughs> he just doesn't know what to do with himself, standing there behind Worf as he's captaining the Defiant. Was he, was he standing at ease or something? Like Yes, it was It was a really funny uh, position. And then, I can't remember, like, the ways he would comment on things. I was like, yeah, they just didn't know what to do with Bashir. But yeah. had to have him there on the bridge. So. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. We do get some quark, especially when O'Brien's yeah. about to break the mug on the. <laughs> oh, no, the... no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> I, I loved his little soliloquy about the, um, like the financial crisis yes. on Ferenginar. Yeah. It's like, no, I know what it's like. (laughs) All those credits. Yeah. (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. Um, I, I do. This episode also made me kind of um, miss Creole food. I think this is Loki. One of those things that Deep Space Nine did very good at is bringing in some um, lesser represented American cultural pieces onto our televisions. I mean, black culture for sure, but then, I mean, some of these Creole influences that it brought in every now and then. Um, like, I love that he doesn't even know the difference between Creole and Cajun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so then everyone's Googling the difference between Creole and Cajun food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the, that they're now introducing some Ferengi elements into creole food mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um what y'all think of nog's role in this episode i was just thinking of how racist earth is and how human-centric earth is because clearly i mean now granted i know nog is the first ferengi in um starfleet but it's just like I just find it so frustrating that we're supposed to be presented with Starfleet as being this ideal and humanity being like, you know, past all of these bad things, but they're still totally racist or speciesist or whatever. Um, and so Nog has to like really maneuver what he does in order to get accepted. And anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It just also seems like there's some sort of like a culture in Starfleet of like early cadets are also not respected very much and so they have to like scrounge for any little bit of kind of 
influence that they can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look at what I, happened to Wesley when he went to the academy. The the Red Squad thing was so funny. Red Squad, you guys, uh, uh, and it you know it didn't actually make sense uh, because Nog was he's only been there a month. They say that in the show, right? It's like mm-hmm. oh, Jake's like oh, it's your first month, and then when Nog goes to ask Cisco for his endorsement. He's like, well, my grades are good enough for me to get in. I just need a letter from a high-ranking officer. It's like your grades from what? From like your first month? Like, have you been? How much have you learned in a month? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, I caught that too. Um, Red Squad, of course, will return in sixth season of DS9 towards the end in the episode Valiant, um, where Red oh, Squad yeah. basically has the other sister ship of the Defiant, um, and they're behind enemy lines, basically. So, um, this is this is an element that they will pick up again in the future. I forgot about that. Um, well, let's. I think I think we've covered most of everything in this. Any anything in your notes that are? Um... Can I, can I just do a few things quick? Yeah, yeah, of course. Just random observations. Nothing that weren't serious discussion. So. Uh, uh, Cisco's dad's doctors just told him that he wasn't doing his treatment, so they have still repealed HIPAA in this you know, <laughs> version. Of... <laughs> uh, like that's even not cool. Um, uh, in Paris, so where like the Federation government is, they have all these high-rise buildings. Like it's supposed to be like this is a cool future Paris. I don't think Parisians would think that's like a very cool uh-uh. idea. <laughs> no, no. Um, and then. Okay, there's this scene, I think it's in the second episode, where things are starting to get kind of heated, and Cisco returns to the restaurant late at night, and he's like, you know, worried, and it's late at night, and he pours himself a big glass of milk yes. out of like an old school ass, like, like milk delivery man, glass milk jug, mm-hmm. and he's just like, you know, pensively sipping his milk. <laughs> Great. That's disgusting. I almost I know, I was surprised like, he didn't warm it up, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like Worf and his prune juice right. and Cisco and his milk. <laughs> oh, man. Good catches. Emily, anything else in your notes that you want to bring up before we wrap things up here? Um, the cadet was such a frat dude, bro. Cadet um, Shepard? Yeah. Who will return in Valiant, of course. Oh, is he? Okay, I see. Oh, he? Yeah, I totally didn't remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Cisco did the Picard maneuver with the uniform. He kept pulling down the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he kept pulling down the shirt because they have the Dude. different uniforms ever when they're on Earth. Anyway. So cool, yeah. Yeah. So cool to see. <clears throat> yeah, I thought that was like a that was a cool little touch that they had them switch their uniforms yeah. to kind of show the difference between Deep Space Nine and the planet. I found myself wondering if he was wearing Riker's uniform. Because uh, I, I get the feeling that, that Avery Well, Avery Brooks in. was fitted for that uniform because in the first, oh, first yeah. episode of DS9, he shows up on Deep Space Nine wearing the TNG-style uniforms. That's true, that's true. Yeah. Mm. So maybe they just pulled that out. We also see that the pips, uh, they lie flat on the tabletop, so they're not pins, they are magnets. Uh, the Admiral's pips, when he hands mm-hmm. them in at the very end, they sit flat. They don't sit like they're kind of, they got something behind them. Did anyone else notice like how he puts them down on the table and then he kind of like, 
poses his hands after he lays his pips down. It was like, it just was a little, it was like a little, put them on the table. Now open your hands just a little bit. Like he was doing exact directions that he was given yeah, for that yeah. moment. Anyway. That's funny. I mean, it, I know they just did it for the sake of the scene, but the whole idea that they are like magnetic or you could just take them off, mm-hmm. right? Is really kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, you you could just you like, like run up and off. grab somebody's insignia <laughs> yeah. off their collar. Well, like, the what, whole, what purpose does that serve? The whole idea that the most important tracker and communications device the yeah. Starfleet officer could wear just like rubs off with the slightest pressure. <laughs> yeah. It's probably not practical, let's be honest. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, yeah. Good catch. Well, so just just the final thing. Um, I think I think the message from this episode is pretty clear that we can't trade away our freedoms for security, uh, and I think it does a pretty good job of kind of being a morality based episode in that mm-hmm. way. Uh, any any other lessons like go get your heart checkup, and like eat well <laughs> when you're older. <laughs> Don't join Red Squad. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they set up that, you know, they're having this external conflict with the Dominion, but they're in in these two episodes. We think that's the issue initially, but then it really turns out that it's kind of the internal turmoil that that causes. Which um, isn't that isn't that just life? Like, there's yeah. this external threat, and the people who should be working together to try to address that internal to, to, external threat are just infighting and yeah. no one can agree on what's the right course of action and yeah that's just human that's just humanity right there yeah 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 all right let's go into strange new ratings which of you would like to stick your neck out and give home front and paradise lost are we giving them separate ratings or the same rating we do the same yeah i was gonna do same cool i'll give it an eight it's good solid love this is when Deep Space Nine starts to get really good. Yeah. You know, when Cisco's bald with his goatee and you got yep. Worf. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Yeah, I was going to give it four out of five. Solid episodes. Oh. I liked, I thought the second episode was slightly better as far as like just really kind of, I think it just kind of amped things up when you're just like, oh gosh, this is, this is like, wow, this is bad stuff that's happening here. And anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, Wonder of Wonders. I'm a little higher. I'm a nine out of ten. So I, I thought this was this was touching on perfection, but not quite there. But it was really really good, and I especially like how it frames in the pale moonlight that comes later. So, yeah, yeah. very very neat. All right. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Emily, for talking about this episode with me. Do we want to quickly select our next episode in this imposter series? We we're waiting for Strange New Worlds to come in on mid-June but till then we're going to be talking about episodes that touch on imposters what do we want to do next should we do that Voyager one where they... Course Oblivion yeah yeah all right only because Emily is not there and she mm-hmm. said that the episode is very depressing which it very much is but so. you know that's it's a great one to do though because it's a totally different type of imposter theme so that's kind yeah. of cool just to show the diversity that this um series we're doing can have the diversity of episodes it can have within it cool 
Awesome. Let's do that then. Course Oblivion for next week, dear listener. Uh, Adam and Rudy, if you're listening, please watch that before you before next weekend. Uh, and then thanks, dear listener, for making time for us in your week, as you usually do. Thank you, Jishin Guha, for recording our theme music. We always appreciate you strumming away at the guitar on the Klingon theme. And special thanks this week to uh, Susan Gibney, who played Leah Brams and came back to play a completely different character who still looked a lot like Leah Brams. So <laughs> but we always appreciate seeing her on the screen. She was recently in Lower Decks as well. So special thanks to her. All right, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.